0: Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fin's up. Here's Stephen, your host. What's up, guys? Hey, Zade, it's August 15th. I'm Stephen Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the source. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be discussing a bit of the preseason game between the Miami Dolphins and the Chicago Bears. We're going to be diving into some of the positive things, some of the not-so-great things, and whether it's too early to be concerned with some of the negative things we saw. We're also going to be talking about some of the major headlines from news across the NFL throughout this first weekend of preseason football. But first, we're going to begin with the game between the Dolphins and the Chicago Bears. The Bears ended up winning this game by a score of 20 to 13. But of course, this is preseason football. So you're kind of looking at performance more than just strictly the outcome and the score of a game. So before we talk about the individual performances, it's important to note here, some of the guys for Miami that did not play in this game, we had guys like Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, both missing from From the secondary in this game. The defense was also missing Emmanuel Ogba as well as Jalen Phillips in this game. And then on the offensive side of the ball, the Dolphins were without wide receivers Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, Albert Wilson, as well as the offensive rookie Liam Eichenberg. So you have several guys missing, including the first three wide receivers on the depth chart, as well as the two primary cornerbacks on this team. So again, keep that all in mind as we discuss some of the positives. well as some of the negatives throughout this game. So first, we're going to begin with the most important position in my mind on this team. It's the quarterback position, of course, featuring Tua Tungavailoa, as well as Jacoby Brissett and Reed Sinet uh, backing him up. So to talk about Tua, of course, there's one play in particular, which I'm going to talk about that is going to be probably the major headline from the national news, but it's important to note that Tua overall did pretty good in this game. He went eight for 11, 99 yards passing, but the major thing was one play, and I feel like it's gonna be used against him heavily as he had one very bad interception that was his final play of this game. But I don't think it's fair necessarily, I don't think it's a homer uh, of me to say it either, that I think he was having a pretty solid game up until that point. I wasn't gonna say that my jaw was dropping and I was in awe of anything that he was doing necessarily, but he looked efficient, it looked like he was, uh, you know, Uh, Calm and collected, especially when you consider the state of the offensive line, which I'm going to be diving into a lot more as we uh, dive into this episode. But overall, he was making smart reads. He was getting rid of the ball quick. He was really targeting those tight ends, guys like Mike Kosicki, as well as Adam Shaheen and Durham Smythe. He was really targeting those guys pretty heavily. But overall, a lot of smart decisions. He was throwing into tighter windows. One play in particular, a lot of people are going to look at when he had a little bit more time to throw, he connected with Mike Kosicki, laid it perfectly Perfectly right there for Gasicki, which turned into a 50-yard reception. He also had a nice pass to Mac Hollins on the sideline, as well as another third down uh, conversion to Mike Gasicki. We saw a few instances where he was able to display his mobility in the pocket. If you guys remember, one of the things that I liked about him last year in his rookie season was I thought that when the pocket was collapsing and under pressure, that Tua did a pretty good job at keeping his head upfield and looking for receivers down the field. And I think in this game he was doing that as well and we were able to see in some ways it kind of reminds me of Tony Romo in that aspect but overall I thought it was a pretty solid day from him but that one negative play is the interception frankly I can't say what I uh, what Tua saw in that play it looked like a very bad mistake on his part there is no real way uh, for me to say that I think that play would have worked I know some people are kind of bashing the offensive line I think there is uh, plenty of room for a critique in terms of the offensive line play from this game but on that play in particular, I don't think that the pressure necessarily caused that interception. He stepped up in the pocket. It seems like he had a little bit of time after that, a pretty ordinary pass, but instead he just threw it to a guy who was double covered at the time. I don't think it was a good play. And I think he would admit that himself. Now, as for Jacoby Brissett to talk about the other quarterbacks here briefly, Jacoby Brissett's entire time out there was also defined by the poor offensive line play that was really plaguing the offense for the duration of this game. He was forced out of the pocket a lot. It was kind of a mirror that he came away uh, with the level of production he did. In my eyes, he finished 6 for 10, 67 yards passing and a touchdown where he connected uh, with running back Savon Ahmed on a 23-yard reception, kind of similar to that pass to Mike Sicki, where Tua just dropped it right in the basket for him. Uh, Jacoby Brissett was able to do the exact same thing while pressure was barreling down on him. It was a very nice play. And then on top of that, Jacoby Brissett was also able to escape the pocket uh, on a few instances and have 12 yards rushing. Overall, it looked like a pretty rough day for Brissett. Same thing with Reed Sinnette over here. He was kind of having a pretty conservative outing, kind of just checking the ball downfield quite a bit. He was 6 for 10, had 51 yards passing. Overall, uh, nothing too exciting there uh, from either of these guys, but it was hard to imagine them doing much better with the state of the offensive line, which I will segue into right now just because I have been talking about it so frequently. The offensive line play in this game regressed a ton. It was very, hard to watch in this game. This was a group that I was expecting to continually progress throughout the duration of the season because they were all younger players. I didn't think they played absolutely terrible last year as a whole, but in this game, man, it was rough to watch. Uh, a big supporter of mine and a huge listener of the podcast, uh, Cliffy Mack, uh, sent me a message on Twitter saying that he was worried about the offensive line before, but now he's terrified. And I think that's a completely justified take to have. One guy in particular on this offensive line that was just struggling to the max was Austin Jackson. He was getting absolutely blown past. We heard uh, before he was drafted and especially when he was initially starting that he was a very raw talent. He's a very young player too and that he would have to, uh, you know, uh, hone in on his game. He would have to polish it up quite a bit and I think he did that to some extent last year but in this game in particular, he was just a non-factor. He was getting blown past it seemed like every single time. Tua was under pressure from that left side. Luckily for him, that's That's not his blind side because he's a left-handed quarterback. And then again, if you watch that Jacoby Brissett pass where he connected with Savon Ahmed for the touchdown, if you look at what Austin Jackson did, the defender just absolutely blew by him and Jackson had no chance whatsoever on that play. Now, I'm hoping Jackson could bounce back. He wasn't necessarily the only offensive lineman who who struggled in this game, but it seemed like in particular, he had uh, the poorest outing amongst all of these guys. Now, if you look at uh, guys like Michael Dieter in the goal line situation, he wasn't able to provide much of a push. Same thing could be said about Solomon Kinley. None of those guys were necessarily able uh, to open up the ground game, especially in terms of running the ball inside, which was a huge issue for the offense in this game. This is just the one glaring negative takeaway you could have from this game. I'm hoping they could improve, but if the Dolphins were, you know, according to those rumors, actually interested in trading uh, training for an offensive tackle to to fill this spot. I mean, it definitely becomes a lot more realistic now after the way that they performed in this game. Just uh, an absolutely rough outing to watch from the offensive line. Now, we're going to talk about the running backs here. And of course, the running back position is one that is so heavily dependent on the play of the offensive line. If you're not getting any sort of push, if you're not getting any sort of openings, what can you really expect for a running back to do? And it was interesting because Malcolm Brown ended up getting the start for this team and he had nine carries for eight yards in this game. I've been suggesting throughout the entire offseason that they were bringing him in kind of for this short yarded situation and that he was going to be the more of that power runner so I was a little bit shocked to see him get the start over Miles Gaskin and him just generally get a lot more workload in this game but I can't say that even though that stat line looks absolutely terrible that Malcolm Brown looked really bad because I do think that those stat line mirrors what Jordan Howard was doing for the Dolphins not too long ago and when you watch Jordan Howard you could tell he looked slow. He looked lethargic. He looked washed at that point. I don't necessarily get that same feeling when I'm watching Malcolm Brown. Sure, the guy isn't as quick as Miles Gaskin, but you can see that the power is still there. He doesn't look like some washed up veteran the same way that Howard looked for the Dolphins. But in that same way, the offensive line just wasn't giving him absolutely anything to work with. There were several carries where he was just blown up the second the ball was handed to him. Again, he had two rushes from the one yard line, which I'm pretty confident. confident in Brown's ability, but the offensive line just gave him absolutely no chance to even get in there. Now, I will say that Miles Gaskin stepped in later and he was able to provide more of a spark. He had four carries for 19 yards, so that averages out to 4.8 yards per carry. And you can tell that when Gaskin has a ball in his hands, he's able to do a lot more. His ability to bounce to the outside, his cuts looked as quick as everyone's been reporting throughout training camp. He looks like he should be the primary running back. And it would be shocking to me if he isn't the primary running back when the regular season comes around. And as for Savon Ahmed, I think he played pretty well. I mean, it's hard to knock what he did. He was efficient in the receiving game, of course, coming up with that huge touchdown, but he also led the team in rushing with 40 yards, 6.7 yards per carry. And on top of that, a total of 31 yards receiving a pretty productive day from Savon Ahmed. Uh, As mentioned before, those times when he's able to bounce to the outside, he really shows uh, his electric ability. He had a rush for 20 yards in this game. Overall, a pretty dynamic and exciting guy to have in this offense, so I would be surprised if he isn't the guy who gets that number three running back spot for the team, and that's not saying that based strictly off this performance, but in that game that we saw last season as well, there was just a ton of things to be excited about when you look at Savon Ahmed. Now, to talk about the wide receivers here a little bit, we'll talk about all the the receiving options, so that includes tight ends. I think the guy who really led the way Uh, offensively, the guy to really be excited about here is Mike Kosicki, who I mentioned had that big 50-yard reception, but he also converted on a very contested third down catch where he was able to reel it in. It was a very clutch play, and frankly, Mike Kosicki is just one of those guys that the ceiling from an athletic standpoint is just through the roof. Something I've been saying is that there's a lot of mouths to feed in Miami, so I can't necessarily gauge where the floor is just because I don't know how much volume is going to be directed his way, but the guy just looks like an absolute mystery. Match waiting to happen regardless of who's on him. Frankly, how many guys can cover a guy who can jump out the gym and who's already six foot six and has the speed of a wide receiver? There's not many people who could do that. So I think Mike Kosicki having a breakout season is entirely realistic. It's just going to be dependent on how much volume is directed his way. We saw what he's able to do with some of those fantastic catches that he made last year. Uh, I think it's only going to be a matter of how many passes he gets thrown in his direction. Now, in terms of some of the other receiving options to mention here for Miami, Lynn Bowden Jr. ended up leading the way here for the Dolphins after Gesicki. He had four catches, which led the team and 47 yards receiving. He had five targets in this game. It was kind of more of what we've seen from Lynn Bowden kind of working in that short to intermediate game and being able to kind of weave and find little spaces to get open. So, you know, not necessarily anything to uh, write home about, but it was a pretty consistent performance from Lynn Bowden Jr. And then if you're looking, for something to really look at in terms of rookie Jalen Waddle, No passes were directed his way, which was a little bit disappointing, but he was able to showcase his speed on a nice little punt return where he was able to return it for 24 yards. And you can see when he's running, it's just so effortless to him and he's able to hit another gear right when you think he's running at his top speed. He just puts it in an entirely different gear and he just takes off. So, I'm, to, I'm excited to see what the offense can do with him. It's a shame that he wasn't necessarily targeted in this game, but I'm a fan of them using him on punt returns. I know I was against Preston Williams being on punt returns, but something that I really wanted to emphasize at that point was that Preston Williams, to me, just didn't seem to fit the mold in any sort of way of a guy who's a punt returner. He was a big body receiver. He didn't look like a dynamic guy with the ball in his hands. He wasn't going to make people miss. He wasn't going to hide behind blockers or hit. Hit the hole hard. He was a big contested kind of wide receiver who makes spectacular catches. Punt returns just didn't seem like the thing to him. But for Jalen Waddle, I think not using him in those in those instances when he could capitalize on it would just be a disservice because the guy is so fast that I think he really could make some massive plays happen. But in the same way that Jalen Waddle had a nice punt return, so did Jakeem Grant. He had a 34-yard punt return where he was able to show that just dynamic ability to change direction, and the whole field just loses track of him, and he's able to capitalize on it. So if Jakeem Grant is gonna make a good case for why he should be the sixth receiver on this team, it's going to be with his special team's ability, and in this game, I think he was able to showcase why he should be that guy. Now, the tight ends after Mike Kosicki didn't necessarily have productive outing. Uh, Seething Carter left the game with an injury, which is of course horrible to see. Hunter Long did not play in this game as he's still injured himself. And then Chris Myrick uh, had a fumble in this game. Adam Shaheen also had a drop in this game, as well as the interception was uh, the two a threw was directed at him. So outside of Mike Kosicki, a pretty disappointing day for the tight ends. I'm not too concerned with anything long term outside of Seething Carter's injury and Hunter Long. I think the rough outings are just kind of uh, you know a natural thing, and I don't think that. Uh, this is anything to necessarily be concerned about moving forward throughout the duration of the season. Now, some of those other guys that are kind of on the outside looking in, really fighting for an opportunity, weren't really able to capitalize on anything. Guys like Jordan Scarlett and Jared Dokes at the running back position were basically non-factors in this game. Uh, Wide receivers like Malcolm Perry, who had a few punt returns. Isaiah Ford, who's an absolute menace to society for wearing number 20, didn't really have a massive role in this game as he only had 13 yards received uh guys like uh, Robert Foster didn't have a catch Kirk Merritt didn't have a catch just a ton of opportunities I thought with so many of the primary wide receivers not being there but just overall not the greatest day from the entire offense in terms of production or huge numbers now we'll transition here to the defensive side of the ball for Miami and I will say the defense in terms of the first team outside of the guys who didn't play uh, did a pretty good job. They were able to hold the Bears to only three points in the first half, and I think that's the main story, that the defense here for Miami looked pretty stout in those instances. Uh, we didn't necessarily see, I think, the uh, full defense that we're going to be seeing during the regular season. Of course, last year they had that amoeba defense that really confused uh, the offenses that they were going up against. We saw maybe glimpses of that, but not really to the full extent. It looked a lot more vanilla, and I will say the opposing Quarterback in Andy Dalton. He's a veteran. He knows what's coming. He's not the greatest of quarterbacks, sure. You know, absolutely not by any means. But he knows what he has to do to beat a defense like this, and he has to get the ball out quick. So when Miami was sending pressure and leaving those secondary guys in these one-on-one situations, putting a lot of trust in the secondary in those instances the defense really stepped up to the occasion. The secondary did a pretty good job, despite not having Xavier Howard, despite not having Byron Jones out there. Uh, one-on-one situations, we saw Nick Needham break up several passes where if he didn't break them up, they were gonna be a huge play for the other team, but he was able to rise to the occasion. He looked very confident. Same thing that uh, could be said about Noah Igbenogany, who also had a huge pass breakup in this game, as did Clayton Fedulum, And then Justin Coleman had a few plays, uh, Cole Met tried to hurtle him at one point, and he just stood up and just knocked him down. Uh, that was awesome to see. So overall, the secondary in this game, the first team and the second team, those guys, they rose to the occasion. Now, it's important to note those one-on-one situations where they're putting a ton of trust in guys like Nick Needham or Noah Igbenogany, and in this instance, this game in particular, they did pretty well. You have to look at who the Bears were playing. I mean, guys like Darnell Mooney are, of course, not going to be the same caliber of guys like Tyreek Hiller. If you're Going up against someone like Odell Beckham. It's going to be completely different out there. So don't be shocked if just because guys like Nick Needham and Noah Igbenogany and Clayton Fedulum and all these guys looked great in this game, that there are instances during the regular season where it doesn't necessarily translate in the same way because I can't act like the Bears were putting these all pro wide receivers in front of these guys. But with that being said, they did a pretty good job. Uh, Noah Igbenogany did have one play where he got mossed a little bit. It was a, a tough scene watching that. The opposing wide receiver just leaped over and snatched it from right in front of him but outside of that I thought it was a pretty productive outing from these guys so the first team here was able to hold Andy Dalton to only two of four passing and 18 yards before they elected to put Justin Fields in now Justin Fields had a pretty impressive stat line he was 14 for 20 142 yards he had a touchdown and on the ground the guy was just picking up yards at will 33 yards rushing and another touchdown But... When the Dolphins first slash second team guys were out there, Justin Fields wasn't able to get anything done. It was three and out after three and out. He was really struggling out there. Guys like Justin Coleman were doing a good job at getting tackles. Uh, The pressure uh, from guys like Christian Wilkins was evident. Andrew Van Ginkle had a big stop on David Montgomery in the rushing game. Uh, The two starting running backs for the Bears in this game, uh, David Montgomery had three yards. Former Dolphin Damian Williams only had four yards rushing, so they were weren't really able to get anything done, and Overall, the defensive front looked pretty good in terms of that first and second team, but it was when the Dolphins needed to show their depth throughout the duration of this game where things kind of started to unravel quite a bit. Uh, Omar Kelly uh, tweeted over there that one area of the team that he was really concerned about was the lack of depth at the linebacker position, and that was as clear as day once the Dolphins started taking more and more of those starters and second team guys out because that is when Justin Fields was really able to run the ball you started to notice this just massive disparity between the level of speed that Justin Fields had and some of the linebackers when the pressure wasn't there Justin Fields said okay fine I'm gonna leave the pocket the linebackers weren't able to catch up to him and then the secondary was left with a tough spot whether uh, to close down on Justin Fields and leave their man or to stay on the wide receiver and Justin Fields at that point was able to pick him apart Fields later had this play action pass where he connected with tight end Jesse James on a big 30 yard touchdown where I mean, absolutely nobody was in the vicinity of Jesse James. I mean, nobody was even there. Um, And he was able to convert that for the easiest touchdown you'll ever see. So it's instances like that. I do think the Dolphins may have a little bit of an issue on their hands when it comes to the lack of depth at the linebacker position in particular. Um, But outside of that, I think the first and second team, despite not having some of their star guys, looked pretty impressive. And I think it's also important to uh, keep in mind that I don't think the Dolphins are necessarily going to reveal some of their more unique plays and schemes on the defensive side of the ball because we saw, Uh, you know how integral that Amoeba defense was to the team last year and in this game it did look pretty vanilla and they were kind of relying on just guys getting plays done and I don't think it was working out uh, in that same way so I'm not too worried about the defensive side of the ball outside of that kind of depth. But overall, the secondary stepped up without Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. I thought the starters that were out there did a pretty good job. And I wouldn't necessarily be freaking out over Justin Fields putting up those huge numbers because uh, you know the brunt of that wasn't against the Dolphins' better players. And that's kind of one of the things about preseason that kind of skews a lot of these performances. But before we wrap up the episode, the last groups we have to mention here, of course, a special team. Uh, I mean Jason Sanders is an absolute machine we found that out last year we've known this already the guy's an all pro two for two when it comes uh when it came to the field goals uh he had a 35 yard kick just an absolute machine nothing to worry about there and then Michael Pilardi Also did a pretty good job. I mean, he pinned the team deep on one punt that was awesome to watch. Pinned them twice inside their own 20. I think the Dolphins have a pretty, uh, you know, stout special teams unit as it's looking right now. When you look at it as a whole between their kickers, their punters, their punt return and kick returners, just looks like an absolute unit, which is a pretty underrated group that I don't think a lot of teams necessarily uh, have at the same level that the Dolphins currently do right now. So overall, uh, the worries on the offensive side of the ball all uh, I'm not worried about Tua after this game whatsoever. I am worried about the offensive line quite a bit. That is a very legitimate concern. And when you're concerned about the offensive line, you know that has a trickle-down effect to hurting Tua's progression. It has a trickle-down effect to hurting the running back's ability to get yards. So I do think either these guys need to step up the next game or the Dolphins are going to have to do something drastic to address this because we saw on those plays where Tua had a little bit more time, including that throw to Mac Hollins, including the big one to Mike Kosicki. It's a very different game when you have the time to make those reads and to let guys cross, uh, you know, the opposite side of the field. It's a completely different game, especially when you have so many guys who are just mismatches like Mike Kosicki and Will Fuller. You need to have a a time for those guys to get open. And then I raved about Miles Gaskin and and what he could do in terms of production this season. And I still think he could put put up just huge numbers this year. But if the offensive line is performing the way they did, it's going to be extremely, extremely hard for the team to do so and as for the defensive side of the ball a lot of key parts missing the guys in the first and second team I think did well enough the second team guys in the secondary stepped up to a level that is exciting when you think about just the amount of depth the Dolphins could have here when you consider the guys go down with injuries that the NFL is going to have a ton of receivers more and more uh, just the way the game is uh, trending more towards that verticality and that air attack you're gonna have more receivers on the field I'm excited about that And then uh, the only real concern here was the lack of uh, guys, I think, at the linebacker position that had speed to kind of catch up to these mobile quarterbacks. It looked pretty evident in that aspect. Now, to move on to some of the other notes from across the league, we had a handful of rookie quarterbacks make their preseason debuts, and they had varying degrees of success. I think the best rookie quarterback so far from this week has been uh, Justin Fields of the Chicago Bears. I know I kind of downplayed some of the success he had today because he was going up against some of those uh, you know third stringers, guys who may not even make the team for Miami, and that's where he had the majority of his success, but at the end of the day... Day. it was an impressive performance nonetheless. I know if somebody like Tua in his rookie season would have had a performance like that in the preseason, I'd be excited too. So just because Justin Fields wasn't going up against the best players doesn't mean that there was nothing uh positive to take away from his day. Overall 14 for 20, 142 yards. He had that 33 uh, yards rushing as well, two total touchdowns. Overall, just a ton of things to like about his performance. If I, if I was a Chicago Bears fan, I would definitely be excited about the future there. Now, the next quarterback here, Dolphin fans are going to hate me for saying it, uh, but it was Zach Wilson of the New York Jets. There was a ton of negative comments coming out so far throughout training camp about how many picks he was throwing and how bad he was looking. Now, he didn't have the biggest sample size, but he ended up going six for nine, 63 yards. Again, doesn't look impressive, but if you watched him going up against some of the first team guys, he looked composed. He was playing within himself. He kept his mistakes to a minimum. I just think overall, I mean, he played a pretty polished game of football. It was one that could have gone a completely different direction, but at the end of the day, I mean, he played solid. It's hard to knock that. Now, the next guy here is going to be Trey Lance, who had a massive play. He had an 80 yard touchdown reception, which prompted the commentator to yell Trey Area, which is maybe one of the cooler nicknames right now in football, of course, paying homage to the Bay Area over there. He had a pretty exciting day. It was one that was also kind of hindered by a lack of offense line support on his end if he had more time to throw I think we have been able to see more of that flash and that arm strength and all the the talent that we know that Trey Lance has he ended up finishing five for 14 128 yards one touchdown but he was sacked four times now another player here another rookie who kind of struggled in the sack department maybe holding on to the ball too long is the most highly regarded rookie of this class and that is Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence who finished the day six for nine 71 yards he did have a fumble and he was sacked twice in this game now overall again kind of a small sample size to really look at the same way in terms of Zach Wilson both of them had smaller sample sizes but there were a few plays where you saw that that arm talent really just jumped off the screen for Trevor Lawrence and it wasn't like necessarily that huge 35 yard play where he hooked up with Marvin Jones on this leaping catch that was a very nice pass that really got the fans riled up but also on this little simple out route that was at least 10 yards, maybe more. But the arm strength on plays like that, those are one of the riskier plays quarterbacks could make on those out routes. That's where the pick sixes happen. That's where we see a lot of the rookie quarterbacks really struggled. I'm thinking of Sam Darnold earlier in his career. But Trevor Lawrence didn't really struggle in that aspect at making those passes. I think he will be fine despite this kind of shaky start from him. Now, Patriots quarterback Mac Jones also had a pretty solid outing. 13 for 19, 87 yards and one set. I think he was efficient, you know, not necessarily... Uh, spectacular by any means, but he was a pretty solid quarterback, and the Patriot fans were very excited the moment he stepped on the field. Now, one guy uh, here that's not a rookie, but it was our first chance seeing him in the preseason, was Packers quarterback Jordan Love. Now, if you guys remember, I love the idea of getting Jordan Love. He was my next man up if the Dolphins weren't able to draft Tua. You know, I wasn't necessarily big on Justin Herbert. I'm sure that may come around to bite me, but I was a huge fan of Jordan Love, and the, the upside that he had despite being one of those more raw talents. I thought he had that kind of uh, interesting, mysterious Patrick Mahomes element. I'm not necessarily sure he's going to be that, but just the potential really made him appealing to me. I thought he looked pretty good in this game despite them losing 26-7 to against the Texans. Jordan Love came out here 12 12- for 17 122 yards and he did have a touchdown his touchdown was kind of uh just this screen pass in the flats to his running back so that wasn't necessarily his better play but just generally when you're watching him the throwing motion just looks like it's so natural to him it looks like it doesn't take him a lot of effort to get a ton of zip on the ball overall the motion is just very you know concise and very tight it's awesome to watch so I think uh the upside is still definitely there for Jordan Love being able to sit and watch uh behind Aaron Rodgers you know, it's Hard not to draw the same parallels that Aaron Rodgers had sitting behind Brett Favre. So, the potential for the Packers to have yet another solid quarterback, I think, is still very much alive here uh, with Jordan Love. But, guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up today's episode. As always, if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so. That is at Shady Steven and at Via The Source. I would appreciate any follows over there. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review. It would help a lot. And if you have any topics, questions, things you would like for me to discuss in a future episode, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I would gladly discuss it in the next episode. Guys, that is how I'm going to wrap it up. Until next time, I'm Steven Masso, and this was Via the Source.